0: um well we're just continuing our i feel like it's like story time story time of winter themes (laughs) you guys have i told you that if i had all the time in the world i feel like there's a very okay is it niche or niche
1: i say niche. niche
0: okay well it's a very it would be a very niche market here in south dakota where like we do have a lot of people weirdly moving from like warmer states And they're like moving to South Dakota, right? Because it's cheap. They can buy their houses in cash, whatever. Okay. (laughs) I feel like I have, there's a sweet spot that I could tap into, which I feel like there's no time for, but there's a very niche market of people that I could deeply relate to and help maybe and, and, and monetize it in a way of people from California moving to South Dakota. It's kind of a shocker, but I've heard several stories of Californians moving here. A stirring shock by this?
1: Um, Yes. <laughs> As someone who would just desperately love to get out of South Dakota, I don't particularly understand the urge to move here. I don't know. Maybe it seems great if you haven't lived a winter here, but... <laughs> I know. I'm like,
0: okay, so winter specifically, I thought I could start a support group and or just have like, you know... <laughs> A short video series of, like, all the things that you need to survive oh a South Dakota gosh. winter. Because let me tell you, when little Beth from California. Little Beth? Grew up her whole you? life oh, in California. Okay. Yeah. Little Beth. Yeah. That's me. When I first moved here. And, you guys, my context of South Dakota winter was, like, living in California my whole life. Then I was on a mission trip in L.A. Um, I was No. Hold on. Let me start that over. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. I lived in California my whole life. Right before I moved to South Dakota, I was on a mission trip in Thailand. So I literally am in Thailand and then I'm moving to South Dakota.
2: What? In the dead in of winter. Win- oh, in winter? Oh, my in God.
0: The dead Welcome. of winter. And I never experienced it. <laughs> and I was like a baby bird who didn't know how to fly. And no one taught me. Let me just, like, tell you a story that shows you that I had no idea that you needed shoes with treading Um, on them. Why would I? I don't know what ice is like. Yeah. What? Guys, I don't know why I thought it was a good idea. But I, like, once I was meeting some. I was very brave. (laughs) And I drove, like, two minutes from, like, the house where I lived to this, like, restaurant in downtown Sioux Falls. So cute. And I did it. And then I, like had to walk past this bar to get into the restaurant, but I didn't see this like huge ice patch, just like overtaking. And I just like, I just slip and I just like fall. And the ice patch is so big that I keep trying to get up. I don't have proper shoes and I just keep falling. And cue these men who are watching me like smoking their cigarettes (laughs) And like you guys, I'm not kidding you. One of them had to come. I, they were they were like, "This is sad." <laughs> they like lifted me and put me where the ice was hot, and they were like, "Go on, young one." <laughs> and I just, I want to help. I want to help people not experience that. And if I could monetize it, it would be even better. Mm.
2: I just feel like they probably were thinking, "Yeah, she's not from around here."
0: Because it was, I was like a deer. I was like a deer that couldn't
2: find its footing, and I just kept
1: like falling. when Bambi's like trying to learn how yes. to walk, oh. and he, she's... that was me.
0: <laughs> and then I found Sorrel Boots, and my life yeah. changed.
1: Hey guys, this is Esther. And welcome to the People Who See podcast. We ask questions often avoided and listen to stories often unheard. We believe that great stories and great questions allow us to see our faith differently. Thanks for joining the conversation. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody, to the People Who See podcast. Um, I am Esther, and I'm here with my beautiful co-hosts, Melissa. Hello. And Beth. Howdy. We're so normal today. I'm really proud of us. Um, but today, we have such a special treat for you um, because we are chatting with the one and only Dr. Larry Caldwell, the father of ethnohermeneutics, and I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone but he is one of my absolute academic heroes and i just love chatting with professors because they're so passionate and there's just like so much delight when they talk about the things that they've spent their life studying so i just can't wait for you to hear larry cuz his enthusiasm is so contagious but to tell you a little bit about larry he and his wife mary larry and mary i'm dead oh. <laughs> They're so fresh. I never thought about that. Um, Larry and Mary lived in Asia off and on for 30 years, with over 20 years in Manila, Philippines, as missionaries with Converge Worldwide. In Manila, Larry was professor of missions and biblical interpretation as well as academic dean at Asian Theological Seminary, and he directed the Doctor of Missiology program at Asia Graduate School of Theology. In 2011, Larry and Mary returned to the U.S., where Larry became director of training and strategy for Converge Worldwide, and then chief academic officer, dean, and professor of intercultural studies at Sioux Falls Seminary. He does a lot, guys. It's a lot. I do. Larry continues to teach regularly on contextualization and cross-cultural Bible interpretation at seminaries and training institutions across the world, and has published several books as well as dozens of articles found in many Western and Asian journals. Larry is an avid runner who enjoys biking, cross-country skiing, golfing, and snowshoeing, Larry and Mary have four adult children and two grandchildren. Um, And just one quick note, throughout the interview, you're going to hear us talking a lot about the terms exegesis and hermeneutics. And if you didn't go to seminary, or if you did, and like me, you still had to like, go look up these definitions again, um, they both broadly refer to the way we interpret scripture. So like, if that's all you remember, great, that'll help you in this conversation, Um, But the distinction between the two is that where exegesis refers to the interpretation of a specific biblical text, hermeneutics is deciding which principles we will use to interpret the text. So it's kind of the lens through which we look at the text as a whole. So hopefully that helps. And without further ado, we're going to dive into our interview with Dr. Larry Caldwell. We're just gonna jump right in and say welcome thank you so much for being here and we just always love to start our interviews off with a little softball of who are you what do you do tell us your story tell us whatever you want us to know about
3: you wow that's a wide open question there so
1: take it wherever you want to take it
3: thanks for letting me be a part of this i'm excited for what you guys are doing this is great um Yeah, I'm uh, Larry Caldwell, and uh, I uh, was born and raised here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, So this is my hometown. I left when I was 17 to go to college, and I came back when I was 57, and uh, 40 years later, and it had changed a bit during that time. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, it went from, uh, what, 70,000 people to whatever we are uh, 10 years ago. And uh, or so, and uh, it was just uh, exciting to uh, see how, what what God is doing here. I grew up here; it was ninety eight percent white, Anglo, uh, very boring place in terms of culture. Uh, but uh, coming back, of course, uh, now with uh, over diff- you know eighty different languages in the school systems and and whatnot, it's just it's exciting to see uh, what God has done in bringing the nations to uh, Sioux Falls, and that's been really exciting to. S- Pretty challenging, too, for the Anglo churches here to uh, see the changes and participate in those changes if they want to. Some are, uh, many aren't, uh, and that's been a a challenge in trying to get the the churches here to kind of uh, realize the reality of what Sioux Falls is and what God has done and the opportunities to reach out uh, both to those who are uh, Christian immigrants and refugees and those who are not and uh the opportunities are here. So anyway, that's that's uh in the intermediate time, uh, those 40 years I uh spent in college and seminary and graduate school and uh uh overseas for about uh off and on for 30 years um, mostly in southeast asia uh in uh, asia uh, my wife and I were uh and we still are missionaries with uh, Converge Worldwide, which is formerly known as the Baptist General Conference. And so that's our, that's our denominational heritage. Um, uh, we first went to the Philippines uh, in 1980 and uh, taught at a small Bible school there uh, for uh, over a period of uh, two, two partial years. Uh, and Then in 83, 84, we uh, returned to Asia uh, to the People's Republic of China uh, for two years there. 83, 84, taught at a university uh, there, uh, really exciting time. China had just opened up to the West a few years before. Uh, we were the, among the first foreigners into our city, which is Harbin up in the Northeast Manchuria region, about 300 miles from the Sino-Soviet border. Uh we were the one of the first ones in there. We were wine and dying by the mayor, governor, all that kind of stuff. It was really fun fun time, fun experience. And uh um and then uh we came back to the Philippines in nineteen eighty and were there until two thousand excuse me, nineteen ninety and we're there uh till two thousand and eleven. Came back here to uh, Sioux Falls where I started at Sioux Falls Seminary, uh, and I've been here since 2011. So it's my 11th year and uh, seventh year as uh, academic Dean. So that's it. That's me. I've got four kids. Uh, uh, they all grew up in the Philippines and uh, so they are, uh, what's called third culture kids, uh, uh, kind of in and out of the, uh, North American Western culture, uh, but uh, very much they're most as as third culture kid, kids say they're most comfortable on airplanes going from one place to another because they're not comfortable uh, really in any any situation it's really fun to 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 watch third culture kids in a group because they'll always find each other cuz it just they kind of have it's an instinct
2: third
3: culture so uh, it is so anyway, that's the, that's my kids. I got uh, uh, four grandkids now, and uh, in fact, just this morning, my grandkids are leaving me, going back to Africa. My daughter and her husband are uh, with an NGO in Africa in Rwanda, and so they're going back. To, they've been with us now for about uh, six weeks. Been really fun. So, but they're going back. So, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can I ask really quick, um, what brought you back to Sioux Falls after so many years yeah. overseas? Was there something significant or just something like, I want to be back to my roots of the, the plains? <laughs> I would like Dakota. looking
3: <laughs> out at the horizon rather than huge buildings where we lived in Metro Manila for 20 years. And so 20 million people and just uh, uh, you could not uh, have a bigger contrast than with Sioux Falls. Yeah, what brought us back? Uh, God, uh, basically. So, uh, no, uh, the goal of what I've been, uh, most of my time I've been involved in training missionaries and especially non-Western missionaries in uh, reaching out, especially to unreached peoples and unreached people groups, those who have never heard the gospel. And uh, so I've been doing, I had been doing that for many, many years. And as I had taught my students, I said, you've got to work yourself out of a job. That's the goal of missionaries so that you train local leaders to take your place and and do the work of ministry and you move on to someplace else or you're you're done. Maybe that's your season of of your life was doing that. Uh, So uh, it became very clear to me uh, about uh, 15 years into uh, what I was doing at a seminary called Asian Theological Seminary, and I was academic dean there at the time uh, to say, hey, God is making very clear, you need to work yourself out of a job too. And so I helped train the Filipinos to take my place in my department, which was uh, the missions department, the Bible interpretation department, and uh, also uh, in the dean's role. And so I did that and came back. I've been back a few times uh, teaching there and and whatnot, but uh, um, we really felt that we needed to actually physically leave because the problem with Many non-Western cultures, uh, and it's a it's a bad problem. But if you're a Westerner, you ca- you cast a pretty big shadow, uh, especially in uh, in institutions. And uh, um, we didn't want that to happen. We wanted the, the ones who took our place to uh, be able to do it on their own, and and uh, and not have us there. And so we left. Came back to Sioux Falls. Uh, my wife is originally from Duluth, Minnesota. Um and so she wasn't so enthralled about coming back to Sioux Falls. uh three of our kids are in Minneapolis, so we looked at Minneapolis St Paul area uh but we- ju- it was just too much traffic and too much uh, i mean it's a city. We thought nah, uh let's let's do Sioux falls and and uh we'd spent a few uh furloughs here at least uh one year or summers here in Sioux Falls. Uh, at a mission house, Central Baptist, Central Church now had a mission house that we used. And so uh, uh, she was acquainted with Sioux Falls. She liked Sioux Falls and, uh, and the rest is history. We're back. So. Well,
0: we're glad you're, we're glad you're here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're glad you're here. Um, Dr. Larry Carl- Caldwell, you are known. Okay, you did not give yourself this title, but I have heard you be called like the father of ethno-hermeneutics.
3: Wow, that makes me feel old. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you, no. I
0: would love if you could take some time because that's a big word.
3: It, it sure and is,
0: and it's yeah. a big word. I would love for you. Could you define ethno hermeneutics and just your work around that?
3: Sure. Yeah, ethno hermeneutics. I mean, it's it's two words combined: ethno and hermeneutics. So it's really Bible interpretation that's done in. Uh, uh, cross-cultural, multicultural, or multi-generational context. Uh, and it's really trying to look for hermeneutical methods that are already a part of the culture that can be used uh, in, in that culture to help the people in that uh, culture understand the Bible better, rather than trying to uh, say you need to learn a, uh, a foreign method of Bible interpretation, which typically is the Western method, where which you've learned in seminary, uh, Terms of historical, critical, or grammatical historical stuff, which is not bad. There's nothing wrong with those things, but uh, uh, they're not necessarily uh, uh, as appropriate in non-Western context. And so, uh, and there, the question is, how appropriate are they even in Western context? Because probably, for both of you, as you came to seminary, and this is the case with most seminary students, is that you had a way that you interpret the Bible before you came to seminary. Uh, you read the Bible and you applied it and said, this is what it means to me, uh, basically. And then you come to seminary and you say, oh, uh, the professor say, well, that's not the best way. You need to look at the grammar. You need to look at the historical background. You need to look at all this stuff, see what the original author intended that the passage say, uh, all of those very good things. Uh, but that's not really how a uh, most people interpret the Bible until they have actually come to a seminary or Bible school to learn how to do that. And so, what Ethel Hermeneutics does is really uh, try to say, okay, what is appropriate in the in the, say a Filipino context or a uh, a Cameroonian African context or uh, a Tongan uh, Oceania uh, context? Uh, what what is best for those people? Is it best that they learn a foreign method, which is the grammatical, historical approach, or is it? Is there something within their culture? Uh, they're already interpreting texts, uh, whether they're oral or written, they're already doing that with quite a bit of success in their own cultural context. How, how can they do that uh, with the, the Bible text? And unfortunately, uh, because of the success of Western missionaries around the world, and this is just a natural thing, Western missionaries brought their own Uh, Bible interpretation methods with them uh, when they went to other cultures and so it's just natural that they would say this is a good way to do it and and when they started Bible schools and later seminaries it was a natural thing for them to use uh, Western methods and approaches for that Uh, but what it did is it really uh, stifled the local culture and its ability to interpret the Bible for uh, themselves and so the ones who only could interpret the Bible were those who went to Bible school. And so they had to rely on their pastors to interpret the Bible for them. Um, and so, um, yeah, and you had to know English because most of the sources are in English. And uh, so it was very, uh, in, a, in a sense, it, it, uh, it uh, caused the local people to really lose uh, their own uh, ownership of, of the Bible and how to interpret the Bible for themselves. So in a nutshell, Ethnohermics is really trying to restore that uh, to the local people, local context, whether it's cross-cultural, but also multicultural. And you know, here in Sioux Falls, we're very multicultural. Uh, and how, to, uh, how do we uh, interpret the Bible in light of the multiculturalness of our particular congregations? But I also include multi-generational in the definition because uh, really, what we see between the generations—say, uh, young people today and older people in the churches—is it's a cultural problem. Uh, it's because they're in, in totally different cultures. So, young people growing up today, uh, very uh, uh, astute in the technology uh, and and so on, and their elders who may or may not be uh, that way. Uh, young people today who will really—they're the anthropologists are calling them digital learners, uh, where everything is on screen, uh, uh, on cell phones, on on, uh, smartphones, um, and that's where they get their information. They know how to read, but they prefer uh, kind of a hybrid approach to reading, which is video and podcasts like this, and and other ways to uh, receive their, their information. And so, uh, and the older generation doesn't necessarily do that. So the, the, the whole uh, generation gap thing and the problems that go along that, with that are really cultural problems. And, and so I include those also in the, uh, the ethyl her, hermeneutics uh, definition. But it's really, uh, what I'm trying to do in it is, what I call it, it's a return to how Jesus and Paul Uh, interpreted the Old Testament. So it's really something that's quite biblical. uh, And and I think that we really got to pay lots of attention, which we have not done in the past, to how did Jesus interpret the Old Testament? How did Paul interpret the Old Testament? And most of us in our seminary training never were taught much about that. And I'm thinking, well, gee, if the Bible is our final authority, uh, for everything we do and everything we believe, well, maybe it would be good to examine how Jesus interpreted uh, the Old Testament. That might be a, a a good thing to do. And it's very interesting, as I've done my my study of this, is that the, one of the methods, now they use several methods. They, they were experts at interpreting the Old Testament. But one of the uh, methods they use is known in the Hebrew word as midrash. And uh, what midrash means is it's basically that Old Testament passage relates to this in our present context, and really what they're doing is uh, 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 it's called actualizing the text, they're making the text make sense for their present situation, local situation, local context. And that's basically what most people do before they go to seminary, they're midrashing the text, they're saying, That is this, this, that text relates to my present situation. And then they go to seminary and they realize, oh, you can't do that kind of stuff. That's not good uh, hermeneutics. You've got to do, uh, you know, your, your in-depth study of the text and the grammar and the syntax and, and uh, the original context. And uh, you know, Jesus did not care anything for original context. Neither did Paul. Uh, and, but we, we say, well, they can get away with it because, you know, Jesus is the son of God and, and Paul is inspired. It's like, well, no, that's a cop out. In actuality, they're using culturally appropriate first century hermeneutical methods for their culture. It made sense for them. Uh, It made sense for their audiences. Um, And it makes sense for us today to say, hey, in the similar way, we need to allow cultures around the world to use their own uh, Bible interpretation methods that or or their interpretation methods that are a part of their culture that they can use uh, with the Bible. But even my saying, we need to allow, wow, that's, that's a really big mouthful there because we don't need to allow them to do anything. They've got the Holy Spirit. They've got their local community of believers to do it. Um, they don't need our permission. But unfortunately, because of the, uh, uh, the extreme influence of the Western Academy, uh, in this case, uh, it really has, has caused people to say, you know, the best way to do Bible interpretation is the Western way, uh, and uh, it's not. It's a way. It may be a good way for Westerners. Most Westerners probably not, but for some academic Westerners, it's it's appropriate. Uh, but for uh, most people in the West, but even uh, around the world, it probably is not the most appropriate. So, what Etho does is really look for what are what are some of the local. Uh, things that are going on, and it's you know, uh, it it, it kind of goes along with. I don't, I don't know if you want me to keep talking. I'll just keep talking. <laughs> you know, if you, if you interrupt me or whatever, I'll talk all day if you if you want. I love to so, But, but let, let, me ju- let me just let me just describe it this way, okay? There's 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 two kinds of exegesis, okay? Uh, how we approach the text. The, the the first is what we've all learned, which is called biblical exegesis. Okay, we look at the the text, its context, all those kinds of good things that grammatical, historical stuff does for us, okay? But the part of biblical or a part of Bible interpretation that is neglected is what I call the cultural exegesis side. That That part of it in terms of how do we apply this text to our local context that has been primarily ignored. Now we do have it in terms of communication courses and uh, preaching, but when we're actually doing our biblical exegesis side, in the back of our minds, we're saying, well, yeah, eventually this is going to have to be applied, but we're not thinking about that as we're doing the, the biblical exegesis. And what I'm saying is that we need to, uh, in our Bible interpretation, bring these things closer together so that as we're doing mm-hmm. the biblical exegesis side we're thinking about the cultural exegesis piece in terms of how is this going to make sense to my audience how is how does this relate to well myself first of all but then the people that god has called me to uh, to serve with and so i think in in our seminaries and we're starting to do this in kairos is that we're bringing up the the need to uh, uh study cultural exegesis in fact. Uh, 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 one of the outcomes is geared towards the cultural exegesis side in our MAS and MDivs, because we see that as a, a an, an important piece. Biblical exegesis also very important, but cultural exegesis mm-hmm. just as important. Because if you can't communicate the work that you've done at the biblical exegesis side, uh, what good is it? Okay, and that's that's what we really uh, we really need to go for. So. All of that, to say Ethel Hermes is really trying to uh, uh, tie into um, how we can better uh, and how can other people better interpret the Bible uh, for themselves. And, and, and well, that, that is hard. It's a missional thing.
0: I was just going to say, I love I love everything you're saying because it's kind of flipping not to come in with answers, but to come in with questions and so it requires a posture of like coming into a context that you don't know that well. It's learning it. It's immersing yourself in it. It's beginning to ask questions instead of just barging in with this is the way, this is how it works, and this is how we're going to do it. The the first way re- requires so much more humility and curiosity and and something that we all should be leaning into around our context. and so i i just i love everything you said
1: <laughs> <laughs> well and i think i think what i love about this i just i have such a vivid memory of reading about ethno hermeneutics in my masters program cuz i literally i had this outcome and i remember looking at all the outcomes and saying oh yep there's the one about like church history there's the one about biblical interpretation. What the heck is this one about ethno hermeneutics? (laughs) And so when I got to it and started doing all of the readings, I felt like I was just, I was so excited and so overwhelmed at the same time. Because I think, at least in the tradition I was raised in, and maybe the tradition a lot of our uh, listeners were raised in, would be this approach that like, well, the Bible is very clear. Like you just kind of read it and it says something that Jesus was trying to say to his people. And that's what it says to us. And then you just go and you do it. And then like you were saying, you get to seminary or maybe a biblical education, and you learn this like historical critical method where you look at the the context of the original situation, and then you say, well, that's that, but then here's how it applies to us. But that's something that not a lot of people get, right? Like the average Christian isn't schooled in that, and so that's something they kind of look to maybe their pastors to do for them or like like do this in a sermon. And so it kind of like centralizes this power to interpret a biblical text with someone who's learned this very specific method and that's what you were talking about too in your context in the Philippines like these people didn't have the opportunity to get a seminary education or learn English so what do they do with this and I think that's sort of where I see this as being very applicable to more of like the average Christian because you can you can learn how to interpret the Bible in a way that makes sense for your context. And it's not just the application, it's the actual interpretation that is centered around who you are and sort of like what your people need, if that makes uh-huh. sense. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like my question in all of that is, would it be possible for you to give us an example of this? like cuz i feel like when i was learning about it it was the examples of sort of taking it from the application being contextualized to the actual interpretation
3: being contextualized that
1: really made it click in my head
3: yeah okay yeah and and let me just comment esther with with what you said too it, yeah. It Is yeah our you talked about power and and really that that's the issue who 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 controls Bible interpretation. Who has the power? And how we have done it today is we said those who have been educated at Bible schools and seminaries have the power. Those who are pastors have the power. They have the ability. Well, this is exactly why we had the Reformation 500 years ago, (laughs) because the Catholic Church interpreted the Bible for the people, and uh, there, there was people who reacted against that. And so today, uh, we we really need an almost, in a sense, a new reformation in terms of giving the text back to the people, empowering the local people, whether it's Westerners in North America or the U.S. or non-Westerners, to say, "Hey, you have the same Holy Spirit that the scholars do. You still you have your own local community that you can you can uh, uh, work with each other and try to figure out what this text is saying to, you, what God is saying to you." Uh, through this text and so on and so uh yeah, anyway, I just wanted to uh, affirm what what you're saying there in terms of in terms of power and control as far as examples um yeah uh, basically uh ethan as two different levels, what I call the surface level and the, and the deep level. And the, the surface level deals with more of the communication aspects of things, uh, uh, learning the language, learning how the, the worldview of the people, uh, what are their felt needs and all that kind of stuff. So that that's what most missionaries do. That's what most uh, people do, actually, uh, uh, in, in trying to do some communication. But then when you get to, down to the deep level, that's really looking at, okay, what are the what are the uh, things that are already there in the culture that uh, 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 give us clues for how they interpret the, uh, uh, their own texts or their own oral traditions or, or, or whatnot? And that, that really gets to the heart of what uh, what ethnohermeneutics is at that level. Um, so if you're looking for that deeper level stuff, what you're looking for is really trying to say, okay, um, what are... Those uh, things that resonate with the people in ways that uh, help them make the Bible make sense to them. So th- let me let me rephrase this a different way. Um, um, Van Hooser, uh, Craig Van Hooser has talked about texts and uh, uh, the. And I've talked about them in terms of cultural texts, and these these are things in cultures that resonate with a whole bunch of people in that culture. So, for example, if I say nine one one for a uh, an American audience, uh, September eleventh, uh, they will typically now be if I would have said it fifty years ago, it would have been the the emergency number nine one one. But now it's what happened. At the World Trade Center in nine one one. Okay, so that's ingrained. There's a that's a cultural text for for Americans, um, and these cultural texts are there in in every culture where they they will interpret reality through that particular culture text. So, for example, and I've mm-hmm. I've used this in in many of my classes. If if I if I uh, stand up and I and I. Stretch my arms out and I lean forward, and I ask, "What movie is this describing?" Okay, mm-hmm. and what what movie is it?
2: Titanic.
3: Identic. Identic. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, wait. Disclaimer: I'm watching it right now on Amazon Prime. I mean, not currently while we're speaking, but like last <laughs> night I started. Okay. So You've I never was like, seen it. No, I mean I have, but i just been oh. in this like world of like wanting to rewatch some like classic movies. Anyway, so sorry. So the fact that you, I was like
3: Titanic, Titanic. I know yeah. this one. I, mean, I know this one. But but uh, what's her name? Kate? Is it Kate on the? Kate Winslet. Yeah. Mm, what a woman. When she is on the the mast of the boat, stretching forward there, what is that saying? That's a cultural text saying, "I'm free." I can give up all the inhibitions that I have with my cultural past, which tries to, to hold me down. And that movie resonates with, especially with women around the world, okay? I know some of my Filipino students saw it dozens of times because they were so empowered by the fact. That, and when I do that, you know, in the classroom for the first time they're you know, they just almost start crying because this is a woman who is uh, getting rid of the bonds that hold her back. And so it's a huge cultural text. So you can say, okay, now what is that in, what in the Bible? How do you how do you find something in the Bible that you would interpret in that same kind of way that gives you the same kind of sense of freedom when you read that particular text or you hear that particular text? And, and so we, we have that, you know, in, in all sorts of things. So when you look at Jesus, when he, when he, preaches or when he teaches, what is he doing? He's telling parables, but these parables relate to the people. They are cultural texts. Okay, this woman has lost her coin, okay? And she searches, everyone there knew that because they had had neighbors who'd lost those coins and had desperately searched for it. Um, uh, and, uh, when Paul is in Athens, you know, he he sees the city is full of idols. And by the way, he doesn't condemn them. He turns it and he says, hey, this is a wonderful thing. You all are very, very religious people. That is a great thing that you you, you are searching for the truth. You are so religious that you you even have an altar to the unknown God. Okay, Cultural text, unknown God. Then he says, this unknown God that you don't know, I'm gonna make known to you right now. And they're all ears because he's using cultural texts, okay? He relates to the people. Uh, and then even further, he quotes from their poets, okay? Two poets, okay. He quotes from them, he quotes them because they, they know how to interpret those texts. They've interpreted those texts before, but now he's reinterpreted them in light of who Jesus is, okay? And if you look at those texts, They are really pagan. They're odes to Zeus, okay? They're awful texts that he quotes from, okay? But he turns them for gospel purposes. Paul is not afraid of doing that, okay? And likewise, we today as communicators of the gospel can't be afraid to use the cultural texts that resonate with our people, both Christian and non-Christian, okay? When we fail to do that, we fail to tie the Bible into the way these people are, Viewing reality. How are they interpreting reality? Why are the uh, Marvel comics and the superheroes, why is that so, uh, uh, those, those pictures are so popular today? Because they resonate with the feeling that people, they, they want a superhero. They want someone that they can identify with because they are so downtrodden in their own lives or whatever, where they want to they escape reality and even maybe be that person. And so, okay, how do you, you know, that's how they're interpreting their reality that they are, they are somehow not that person, they are somehow uh lesser than what this, but they can, they can hide themselves in this person. Well, the Bible speaks of that, okay? So th- the Bible can, can help you uh, through Jesus to be something more than yourself there in the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit and, and whatnot. So there are. These cultural texts all over the place that we can we can key in on, but you know the church doesn't do that. You know, when's the last time you heard your uh, a sermon uh, uh, where the pastor will show a clip from a movie, okay, and say, oh, you know, or we'll play a uh, you know a popular podcast like yours uh, on the on, on, you. on the air. You know? You're so kind. <laughs> Well, why don't we do that? Because we don't think that that is a proper thing to do in church, okay? Well, why are we losing the nuns, N O N E S, the young people yeah. in the church who are not identifying with Christianity any longer? They're not opposed to it, but it has no relevance for their life. Why? Because we are not using the cultural text that they are already. Really responding to in all sorts of ways, and there's all sorts of cultural texts, by the way, uh, that we can use. Uh, but we, we're not doing our cultural exegesis homework. We're doing our biblical exegesis homework. We got great sermons, but let me tell you, for most of them, we f- forget those sermons maybe ten minutes after we uh, we we leave the 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 uh, the church. But we don't forget the cultural texts that the pastor will use. Okay.
1: Well, and this is what I think is so interesting. I was literally writing down, like, Jesus is my superhero as you started talking about Marvel movies because I feel like what I see, you were talking earlier about sort of this, like, surface level and then the deeper level, and I feel like what I see in a lot of spaces today is sort of people doing this, like, surface level where they make this like sort of throwaway after the fact connection of like and that's why everyone loves Marvel because Jesus is my superhero and it's like this really like cheesy just like like you're trying too hard <laughs> kind of moment that doesn't connect with people like like they see right through it but if you what I'm hearing you saying is, like, you're not just making this comparison. You're looking at what is the deeper reality behind why this matters. Like, what is the sort of, like, deep core longing in people that makes them want to be Kate Winslet on the Titanic or, like, makes them want to be a superhero and see, like, the world transformed and all will be well. Like, like there's a way to do this that is so much more than what I think we've seen in these like yep and that's why Jesus will save you from the iceberg you know
3: That's right. Yeah. Wow,
0: there's so many titanic analogies happening. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right on uh, Esther that we we've we've got to we've got to get deeper into our own culture and understand how the culture, especially our young people, we've got to get down to understanding how, they're, how they see re- reality. Um, and this, this is for all sorts of things from uh, uh, politics to religion for that matter, but, but especially we're dealing with the religious side of things. We're, we're, frankly, we're missing a whole generation, okay? And why is that happening? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. But I think one of the reasons is because they don't see the church as relevant and they certainly don't see the preaching of the church as relevant. Therefore, they don't see the Bible interpretation that the church is doing as relevant. When in fact, Jesus is incredibly relevant to uh, and the Bible is incredibly relevant to their situations, but they just have not uh, been able to see that because we have not uh, taken the time necessary to do our homework. We're pretty lazy. Okay. <laughs> We're pretty lazy. We 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 you know we delve into the text and into the text and into the text, but really that's a cop out in many cases for actually getting out and understanding your people, talking to your people, spending time with the people, seeing how they interpret things, how they're doing things, what what relates to them, what works for them. Uh, uh, and you know, I don't want to be too uh, judgmental here because I got to be careful. But uh, well, I love we, it. We we. we, we you know, we've got to just really rethink all sorts of things when it comes to how we do communication of the gospel. And really, uh, the gospel is good news, okay? Uh, that's what it is. You know that. Uh, but w- what is good news for a young person today uh, who's who's maybe bullied in a, a, a school situation, who maybe maybe he cuts himself or what, you know, what, what is, it's It's not Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, okay, it's something, it's gotta be something much deeper that resonates with that. And what is good news for me is good, is maybe not good news for you. So it's, it's yes, Jesus is the good news for all of us, but how we actually frame that good news in ways that makes sense to any individual today, not just young people, but anyone, uh, that's that's where we're we're, uh, we're really, I think, missing the boat on, on some of this. and that's wh- that's why you know one one small piece of it is is and cultural exegesis and really trying to say, okay, uh, we value uh, how you're looking at texts, and we even value uh, the fact that you're not formally educated uh And you can speak into what the text is saying um, and that's where again it's a question of empowerment. How are we empowering uh even young people today? Are we listening to them uh as they wrestle with the text for their own lives, even if they're not following Jesus uh they can still have a uh insight in the text, and as we better understand them, we can understand their thinking, how they analyze you know how do they make decisions? We want them to make a decision to follow Jesus. Well, how do they make decisions in anything, okay? from buying something online to uh, voting in an election? Well, most don't vote, but if, you know what? What will motivate them uh, for for doing that? So how do they? So then, okay, what's good news? How do we how do we shape that good news in ways that they'll see that hey, I want to make a decision for Jesus, but I'm going to do it on my terms in in my my frameworks, my my interpretive frameworks, so that it makes sense to me. So I really own it. And, and so for, for so many young people, they don't own it. It's the religion of their parents or their grandparents. Uh, they haven't been given the opportunity to really own it because it is so divorced from their reality. Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is nothing like the rest of the week for them. Uh, and, and so it has no relevance and they're not going, they're not attending.
0: First of all, I just love your passion and your, enth- like you've studied this for so long and there's still just this zeal about when you talk about this that I love. Um, but something that you said, even just a little while ago, first of all, you made me like Paul more because sometimes I'm sometimes like push back I'm just like, I don't know, Paul, sometimes I don't know if we'd be friends, but something that you said I just can't get it out of my head about how he went into those contexts and he didn't he wasn't full of pessimism and anger when he looked at people um at the idols which he looked at it as an opportunity of like well good on you everyone like you're searching for something and I think so often and I'm putting myself in this too. Like I'm putting myself, cause there's people that are so hard for me to relate to. And there's some people that it's easy for me, but for the people that are hard for me, I want to point out everything bad about them. And I felt this little bit, this moment of conviction, even as you were talking is like those people that I wrestle to love, how do I find the opportunity to invite them into maybe what God is doing or what God is saying? So. Thanks for that, Larry. It's good.
3: good. (laughs) Yeah. Because I
1: think, again, what I'm hearing is just sort of this valuing of the way other people see the world and experience the world, Mm -hmm. even if it's not necessarily the way that we are used to it. Like, because we have a hard time honoring and valuing the things that we aren't familiar with right like Mm -hmm. the things that we don't understand or that aren't done exactly our way we tend to think of as not right because we just automatically view our way as right and I think that kind of like it was kind of going back to what Beth said about like the people that we struggle to connect with and struggle to love like it's still important to value their experiences of the world and how they interpret sort of those deeper realities that we've been talking about and so I feel like my question in all of this is like how do we how do we start to do that like to value the other and the unfamiliar as I don't know just as just as, valuable as the way we've always done things. Does that question make sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think your your word value is a very uh, appropriate one here, is because uh, it's so easy to devalue or 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 ignore, uh, which is, mm-hmm. a, is is a type of devaluing uh, and not not being cognizant of of. of even that the other is there, or that what the other does is is of value to them, even though we don't understand it. Um, and and so, how do we do that? Well, the 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 number one way is just getting to know who these people are, getting to know what they believe, what they do, why they do what they do. I mean, it's like everyone in a sense needs to uh, put on a a missionary hat. It's like you're going to another culture and saying, okay, why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? Uh, What does this mean uh, for you in this situation? And, but you you can't do that until you you immerse yourself uh, in their lives. Now you can do it at the surface level, okay? But to get to that deep level, because that takes the time. And that's where we don't have the time, okay? Because we're so busy. We're so busy converting people. We don't have the time to really get to know them, okay? We, we just want scalps on our, we want notches on our belt, okay? That we, we uh, and, and that's not what, Jesus never called us to make converts. Uh, he called us to make disciples. Uh,
0: oh, my. I need that on a T-shirt. I need yeah. it on a T-shirt.
3: Yeah, really. Just really. it. That's good. Yeah, print those up. I want 10%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: it's our first merch.
3: Patent your work of the quote. But, uh, I mean, that that's the reality of the situation. So when you're making disciples and you look at Jesus, he spent three years with these guys, okay? He just immersed himself, and they still didn't get it. Okay, yeah,
0: they really—they did.
3: didn't get it at all. he had to keep doing it, and even after he, died, he was resurrected, he had to keep beating it in their heads. What was Even when he was went up to heaven, they're still thinking, "Well, goodness sakes, now the end is coming," and the angels have to say, "No, coming." They got the angels got to beat him over the head and say, "No, quit. You know, get get to work. Do what Jesus told you to do." Uh So. Our end goal is not necessary to get people to uh, do what we want them to do, okay? Our end goal is to somehow get them in their own way, and we value that way to say, you know, maybe they're even going to say, I don't really understand Jesus, but I, you know, I want to follow him. I I, just, and, and, we just help them along in their journey. And that's what spiritual formation is all about. Uh, but we have, in a sense, Christianized spiritual formation to the point where there are certain kinds of things that you need to do in light of that. But why can't we do some of the other culturally appropriate things in, in the other people's cultures that will are just as spiritual for them, but in ways that we can understand. Um, it's kind of like uh it, when i when i told my students um <clears throat> if i when i go into your churches wherever you're at and and i feel comfortable there then i failed as a teacher because i should not feel comfortable uh in your churches because i'm the outsider okay, okay. and uh in a sense when we deal with the other we're never going to feel comfortable okay uh, and but that's not our goal. The goal should not be to feel comfortable. The goal should be, let's help them be comfortable with their understanding of uh, of who God is, and uh, who Jesus is, and uh, be able to relate to Him in in culturally appropriate ways, um, in ways that um, you know. It, it's not going to be all hill song at uh, the throne of uh, the feet of Jesus. Sorry, I don't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope not. I hope so. In light of the scandals, Lord Jesus. Well, yeah, today,
3: yeah, you can't even say it. But, uh, just, <sighs> but yeah, yeah you, you get my drift there. But so yes. but it, it's it, it's digging down, and you know, time is a time is an issue. We don't have time to do that. Um, uh, but if God is calling us to a people, to a particular people, you got to take the time. And, and even, for, uh, even for missionaries, you know, not all of them have the time uh, to do things that they need to. And that's that deep level stuff. Um, and, and so I, e- even in my uh, training when I'm with, with missionaries and, tr- and uh, especially ones who are first going out, I say, you know, don't even try to talk about the gospel during your first term of missionary service. So, because you, you have to learn the language and the culture, and get to know people, make friends, all of that kind of stuff, dig deep there. And then uh, when you, you know, typically you used to have a furlough after three or four years. Now it's a little bit different, but then after, you know, three or four years, you've gained their trust, understanding, you understand their culture, then you can start to say, okay, uh, uh, why do you do this this way? Uh, what are, what are some of your felt needs? You know, as I understand your culture, I can see how Jesus can really fit into this in a way. So you, you're not bringing them to the point of decision to follow Jesus. Um, you're bringing them to a point of decision to understand who Jesus is in, is in light of their own cultural context so that then they themselves, uh, will gladly want to follow Jesus in whatever that way that is, whether it's a decision or whether it's, it's something else, um, Because our uh, decision-based way of uh, following Jesus maybe is not just the only way uh, to do that. So, um, Mm -hmm. but here we start to get into uh, controversy. So, (laughs) which, by the way, Ethel Hermeneus is very controversial, especially among uh, uh, biblical scholars.
0: I mean, I do love a good controversy. (laughs) We love that. (laughs) Something though, just briefly, and we don't have to dive deep into it, but I just love like, you know, in our success driven culture of numbers, you know, this is not an attractive model because of the intentional long suffering time that it takes to develop shocker relationships. (laughs) And so, um... I do love the controversy in this because it's pushing back against a societal pressure that has invaded the church of numbers, success, how many How many people are in your church, how many people accepted Jesus, and you know, I'm not saying that's all bad, but it's taking away, you can't measure the depth that you go with someone in relationship like you can how many people said yes on a Sunday. Um so I do. I love the controversy.
3: <laughs> well, and that's ex- exactly why I also tell my the, the missionary candidates that I teach is, um, you know, make sure you let your supporting churches and and so on know what you're doing, that your your goal is not what you were just saying, Beth. Here, your, your goal is not numbers. Your goal uh, initially is to really get to know the people well, do your homework, and hopefully then. Again, we're not numbers driven, but hopefully the numbers then will come. Um, not, not great, necessarily great numbers, but people will be following Jesus. That's, that's, that's the main thing. Um, and, you know, and again, that's where uh, I think we haven't done our homework. Uh, uh, I mean, if you think about it, where has Christianity around the world been the most successful over the last 200 years? Well, it's been among animistic tribal cultural groups, okay? Um, And we have not made great inroads with uh, uh, in Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. Now, all three of those religions have huge, uh, vast amounts of written and oral traditions, okay? And they interpret those in certain ways, okay? So, Mm -hmm. Why does the gospel look so foreign to Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists? Is because I don't think we've done our homework in terms of trying to understand. Okay, how do they interpret even their own texts? Okay, so I deal with with you know I I remember I was teaching a class uh, I used to teach every year out at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and I was I was teaching uh, an Ethel Hermes class, and we had, we had talked about the fact that you know you've got to get to know your your people that you're working with and i had one missionary he'd been a missionary in thailand for 20 years and he came up to me at a at a, at a break and the tears were just streaming down his eyes and he says you know i have never once gone into a thai buddhist temple <sighs> how could you be in thailand for ta- cuz he never dialogued with buddhist monks okay well, how are you going to relate to Buddhist peoples in Thailand? Well, he knew what you know. I can say all these things now, but that—that's he knew. He was feeling, you know, I've never done that. I've never taken the time to dig deep into their own culture texts. So, I—if I have missionaries who are working on Muslims, take the time to read the Quran. Take the time to figure out, uh, are they Sunni? Are they Shiite? Are they? Uh, what? What are they? And how do they interpret the Quran? Because that's going to make a big difference when you say, "Well, the Bible says this," and they, you know, and, and so. But if you take the time to appreciate how uh, their imams will interpret uh, the Quran, wow! You've you've bridged a huge gap there in terms of the foreignness of what uh, uh, they may think uh, Christianity is all about. So. Um again, we've got to do our homework we just we just have not done our homework because you know there's so many things that we have to do uh but the one thing that we don't do is the thing that Jesus modeled for us is that he took the time you know he had lots of things he could have done he could have stayed in nazareth and and made furniture and took care of his mom, you know and done all of that, but no, he left and for three years he traveled around and was just. Instilling things in his disciples, uh, and doing other things, of course, as well. But um, uh, you know, we we need we need to take that time, and it doesn't have to mean you know full immersion uh, for a certain amount of time. It can be you know just little you know bite it off in little bite sized pieces. Okay, huh? I'm gonna have a meal with this uh, with this this person who's different from me. Okay, we're gonna go to a movie together. And then we're going to talk about it and see how they interpret the movie. Okay, when did they laugh? When did they cry? Okay, and you're going to find out, especially with different cultures, it's going to be different kinds of things, because they will they will react in uh, in different ways. But you can you can then talk about it. And then as you know, so it's not rocket science. Okay, this is not, you know, you you do this 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 is yeah. I can prescribe things that you can do, uh, but it's it's really. Basically, trying to get to know uh, who they are and, and, and informally is is uh, probably the best way to do that.
1: So. I just love so much that these these simple steps you're talking about lead back to, I forget your exact words, but it was like that they will be following Jesus in a way that is meaningful to them and not in a way that's meaningful to me. Or meaningful to Beth, like a way that changes everything for them exactly where where they are, and to me that's just like that's just such a beautiful picture, and so much more beautiful than this. Like, yep, I checked a box and I I did what I needed to do, and now I'm done. Like, yeah. I just my mind is blown. I'm so excited.
0: And I want to make everyone take your Mission of the Church class the end.
1: Are <laughs> <laughs> you ready for hundreds of sign-ups? Yeah.
0: Hundreds of sign-ups. I'm just
3: kidding. Yeah, that'll be the day.
1: <laughs> wow. What a gift Larry Caldwell is to the world. I'm just so glad that we got to chat with him. Um, but we're going to transition into a little bit of time of what we learned. Melissa, take it away.
2: All right. I uh, I, was, I was thinking about, Esther, the intercultural awareness survey that I did take while I, my short time in seminary, yes. and thought about what I, where I thought I was versus <laughs> where I actually was, and it was definitely a moment of oh I'm very despite my thinking I'm very sensitive and culturally aware I was also very uh, binary in my thinking I think is a lot Mm -hmm. of it Um, but I think what I appreciate just this field that Dr. Larry Caldwell takes on is the idea of you know we have to know about the the group of people that we're talking to and and the pieces of culture and language and those kind of things that you know the their lens of how they see Jesus and how Jesus reveals himself you know to them and it just this was kind of a personal takeaway um was it made me think a lot of uh, the work of um, Posture Shift, which we know some people that have been a part of that, that it's not necessarily what we would consider an ethnic group, but um, the LGBTQ community and the way the church uh, tends to view them and understand them and their relationship with Jesus and how they're supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. And so being reminded that, you know, in conversations that I've had where people are so tied up in knots about language and that it it ends up for them feeling like they're capitulating to something that is sinful instead of realizing that it's part of a, a group's identity and culture and the way that they understand the world and therefore also understand how Jesus interacts with them in the world. Uh, And just my heart as being a part of that community is, and what hit me as I was listening to the interview was, I just hope myself as well as others can find that place of doing The work of reaching people and talking to people about jesus in a way that is sensitive to their culture Mm -hmm. in broader ways most often the lgbtq community is met with a lot of indifference or constant pushback and so they're always on the defensive Mm -hmm. when it comes to knowing jesus and so again kind of one of my this is my hope for the church that the church can see this and um, begin to take on understanding more about the culture and the language of the LGBTQ community as a way of just understanding that's how they're going to come to know Jesus is because the church took the time and the effort to uh, meet them where they're at so yeah yeah
0: I, I truly feel like well first of all that um, that Dr. Larry is, he's setting the scene, um, for the next couple interviews that we're going to be having. So his work is really pivotal and important to what we're going to be hearing in these next couple of interviews, um, coming up on the pod. But I think for me, like I've had the honor of sitting under Dr. Larry in seminary, many a class with Dr. Larry And I just love that he's really flipping, I think, what our idea like evangelism on its head, like that this formulaic one size fits all, like our culture is right. And we are going to teach you like this very arrogant Western way of Christianity and evangelism. And Dr. Larry's like, no, (laughs) no, no, it's about going slow and learning your people. And and Melissa, exactly like what you were saying, it's like, it's like looking into the, it's like learning the people group, learning the language of the people group that your heart is desperate to reach, but to, to deeply listen and come with questions, come with humility rather than like the answers and the formula and the way. And that is a transforming work when we are able to come humbly and to learn. And I think like kind of just this new way of thinking would just transform the church. And oh my gosh, like if the church was able to do that, rather than be like, here you go, this is how you do it. And it's like they saw a people group that maybe they didn't understand. And they said, oh, we're going to take years with this community to learn can you, like, what? Can you imagine how transformational and, like, life-changing that would be for everyone? And so I think, totally. yeah, I mean, that's what I want to do. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my, those are my thoughts of, like, more of a process of what I'm taking away. But just this idea of, like, man, I... That's what I want to do in my life is just find, continually find the people um, and learn from them and see the things that are beautiful in their culture that point them to
1: Jesus. Yeah. I, I've thought this for years since I first like encountered Larry's work in seminary, but like, I think we could all just take such a lesson from the person that Larry is like he is such a humble voice in this world where like so many of our leaders like Christian and otherwise are so wrapped up in their own egos and in the need to like cling desperately to our power and control and Larry just embodies this beautiful refreshing willingness to like freely surrender power and status and control and just say how can we actively dismantle the like white western power structures around theology and do theological work in a way that honors those cultures like I think specifically though I just really really loved the way he talked about the next generation like here he is He's a baby boomer and he is freely and courageously saying like, yeah, what's good news for me might not be good news for you if you're like a 20-something in the world today. Mm -hmm. So let's stop and listen and learn and figure out what matters to you and like how you see reality and how we can make the gospel relevant to like who you are and how you see the world. And I feel like that just, it really spoke to something that's bothered me for a long time of, like, the needs and the longings of young Christians and, like, these quote unquote nuns, like the (laughs) N-O-N-E population. Not (laughs) N-U-N-S. Not Not to be Not people in, not the Catholic nuns. Um, Like, I've seen their needs vilified, like, in so many ways. And... It was so refreshing to hear him say, like, why are we losing these people? Not because they're opposed to it or because they don't want to be Christians. It's because what we're offering them has no relevance to their life. And I was just sitting there listening to it going like, yes, this is the energy we need. Like, why are people leaving? Why are they disinterested? Maybe it's because we've been lazy and haven't done our homework and like haven't stopped to take the time to learn what they actually need so I just I love Larry he's a hero he is like the spicy baby boomer hero that we all need (laughs) and I think we should all be more like Larry Um, so I hope like Beth said I hope we can carry these postures and attitudes that we're learning into our next few conversations and I hope you come back for those conversations and we'll see you here next time thanks for listening
2: thank you so much for listening do you have or know of a story that needs to be heard keep the conversation going by following us on Facebook or Instagram and sharing this conversation with someone else who needs to be a part of it Or, if you're like Beth and social media is not your thing, you can visit our website, peoplewhosee.com. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss a conversation. And if you loved an episode, rate, review, and share. Your support ensures that more stories are being heard and more questions are being asked.